to the 10th episode of the Waterlogged Podcast. We're your hosts, Howard Marlowe and Dan Ginolfi. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks again very much to Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network for hosting us. If you're not subscribed to our email updates on federal policy and coastal resilience, please go to waterlog.net. I'd like to begin our show today with a special focus on climate change. I'd like to say I'm very proud of the 16-year-old Greta, who has spoken out so strongly again on climate change, calling out the United Nations leaders who have failed to act on the obvious science that has existed for decades. But I'm also entirely embarrassed for our country. I'm embarrassed because people in the U.S. are awing over the courage and, quote, bravery that she has, despite former administration officials and leading scientists blaring their horns on full blast that we have to take action now. To us and to her is all common sense. But for some reason, people just don't listen, or if they do listen, they don't act. She isn't sharing anything, you know, any, any information that's profound, nothing that other scientists haven't already produced, but for some reason, she has gotten attention and people are listening, and that's a good thing. The world's focus on endless profits must come to an end, or else we will come to an end. And it's already starting. The UN released a report on the rise of ocean temperatures, and the outlook is particularly grim. This is our reality. We just may not recognize it yet. And when we're locked up in our daily lives, we really don't look beyond you know, the screen in front of us. And that's why it's hard to imagine the simple life choices that sometimes have devastating impacts on our environment. So the bottom line is we need money and we need people to take action. But money alone will not do it. We need to build a culture of preservation and respect for the environment. That's called stewardship. The problem is that my money isn't enough and yours probably isn't either. So when it comes to the bottom line, Congress needs to speak out on climate change and fund initiatives to deal with it, um, using its power of the purse. It comes down to leadership, something our country is lacking right now on climate change. And climate change is not a partisan issue. Amen, Dan. Here in Washington, there's not much talk about climate change, actually, and absolutely zero action in the Democratic-controlled House. There are at least a dozen bills with climate change or sea level rise in the title that have been introduced just this year. Not one has seen the slightest bit of action, not a single one. And the box stops here in Washington, right at the leadership level. We have a president who denies there's any climate change, although he had to evacuate at least one of his flagship clubs uh, to avoid Hurricane uh, Dorian. He scared people in Alabama with a fake map of that storm's track because he couldn't admit that one of his zillion tweets was wrong. It's up to this Congress and the next one to start the ball rolling with a plan of action that focuses on the divergent needs and views of the different regions of this country. A, a plan that shows the nation a clear commitment that we as a nation need to prepare for the equivalent of something more threatening, in my opinion at least, than World War III. We don't have to give up our homes, but we may need to raise them. We don't have to give up our cars, but we do have to continue to cut their emissions even further, despite what the administration is trying to do to roll back in the wrong direction the controls on emissions. And maybe we need to use public transportation more. More importantly, Climate change really offers us lots of opportunities. The opportunity to modify the design of our communities so they have more green space and less hard services. 
more opportunities for rising seas and their accompanying floodwaters and places to hold the water when those floodwaters come in, to use basins to hold those when storms come rather than destroying homes and businesses. We have to take, you know, we spend billions of dollars in this country post-disaster. We've talked about this before. On and on and on. It's your tax dollars, folks. It's my tax dollars that are going into all of these post-disaster responses. We aren't spending a dollar on pre-disaster. So, despite appearances, I think Americans are can-do people. And if given leadership, they will respond. Right now, there's a leadership vacuum right here in D.C., and it's scary. Moving on to impeachment impacts on Congress. You know, Bill Clinton didn't get away with one thing under the table, but Trump seems to get away with many things over the table. Howard, can you fill us in on the impeachment inquiry? Well, let me tell you what uh, the basics are. Basically, you have the president uh, making a call to uh, the president of U Ukraine. Now, there's a backstory before that, but having said that, you know, let's look at the essence of what he was talking about. So he's basically saying, look, we give a lot to you from the United States, we give a lot to you in Ukraine, but there really hasn't been this you know, reciprocity that we'd like to have. So we'd like to do a little favor for us. Start looking into Joe Biden and what conspiracy theorists have that somehow Joe Biden was involved in something that Trump didn't like. And let's look at uh, Joe Biden's son who was on the board of uh, this uh, uh, firm in uh, Ukraine that actually is being investigated and, and which Biden actually encouraged uh, being investigated. So here's what I'm going to do, Mr. President of Ukraine. I'm going to give you my personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliano, and I'm going to give you the, uh, the Attorney General. They're going to get in touch with you. Let's see if we can't do something. And sure enough, oh, a little bit later, some funds get uh, released. Oh, what were those funds? They're the funds appropriated by Congress. The Congress had not paid attention to, they had been stuck and held up by the president, who was just waiting for the election of, for the president of Ukraine to do a little discussion that at least appears to be quid pro quo, but you know, that by itself isn't illegal. But then what happened to the transcript of that conversation? Because you know, 12 people, I believe it is, were listening in. They were people who are supposed to be listening in. They are on his staff. They are people that he put on his staff. And normally the verbatim transcript plus a, a memorandum of the discussion that takes care of all translation problems, it got stuck in, in what amounted to a computer vault instead of a place where these transcripts normally go. In short, it got locked down using the word of the, uh, uh, who's ever in charge of national intelligence these days, who testified uh, before Congress. And he said, well, it got locked down. It got put into the special computer. Well, there was a whistleblower. We don't know who he or she was, but was in one of the national intelligence agencies. Whistleblowers are people who are protected under federal law. If they want to have a complaint about sexual harassment, they go to the 
inspector general of their whatever department or agency they're working in. This whistleblower had, was not just one person, it was one person who spoke to, what, five other people? And said they had concerns about what happened. And then the, the inspector general of that particular department, we don't know which one, which intelligence agency it was, but he started looking at the news. And he didn't have to look at a news report, he had to look at Mr. Giuliani and what he said he was doing, and President Trump and who said what he was doing. And he looked at the fact also that, oh, the ambassador for, uh, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine was pulled from Ukraine. Uh, and I don't know that we have one in the replacement because all I've seen today is that they have a special representative over there. And all of these people were having meetings in Geneva, in Kiev, all of those things were going on. And he got concerned, he filed a report. He files that report with the Justice Department and the Justice Department didn't want, and, and with the intelligence agency that he is connected with, neither one of which wanted to release it to Congress, which under law they were supposed to do. Now, all of this has gotten, uh, the stonewalling uh, has gotten uh, the impeachment process going. There's a lot of people listening to us who weren't around when Dick Nixon uh, was president. And there was a break-in. I won't go into all the details of that. It wasn't the break-in that uh, got him impeached. He, he had his people break into the Democratic National Campaign Committee. You know, by itself wasn't a problem. What he did was try to lie about it, try to hold down the administration, the, the, the information about it. And he got convicted of lying. Bill Clinton's impeachment was lying about whether his penis got sucked. That's what it was. And, you know, Dick Nixon got impeached. The impeachment process stopped, actually, because he resigned. Bill Clinton stuck, uh, stuck around, got impeached, not convicted. And the process uh, goes, you know, will now consume Congress, consume the House, certainly, uh, while they uh, conduct their investigation, get all the facts. This administration has not been transparent about anything, and this is no, this Ukraine matter is, you know, just an example. And, and, and uh, it's not just a partisan matter. It is a matter that we all ought to be concerned about as Americans, because our process is supposed to be checks and balances. And quite frankly, I don't know why Nancy Pelosi waited this long. You've spoken about this yourself, Dan. You know, now she's been spurred to say, okay, let's move ahead with this process because there has been enough lying going on from the administration. It's not like it's just this. No. <laughs> it's not it like it's just, just this. this. It's a pattern that's going on here where, oh, no, we're not going to tell you what we're doing. We're not going to give you the papers about this. And uh, that is true with the, the Mueller report and all that stuff. So we've got a fine mess going on, and it's going to consume Congress. They call it a swamp for a reason, right? Yes, and he has not gotten rid of it. He has made it worse. In Congress on Appropriations, the Senate Appropriations Committee voted to reject Trump's budget cuts for NOAA. The president's FY20 budget request included an 18% cut, bringing the total figure down to $4.46 billion. But the Senate decided to boost it back up to $5.3 billion, just shy of the House appropriation of $5.48 billion. 
The new money pays for, for a variety of NOAA programs, including ocean monitoring, fisheries management, coastal grants, aquaculture research, and the agency's flagship weather satellites. Senator Lisa Murkowski, Republican from Alaska, said the bill would pay for better data collection to manage fisheries as fish adapt to changes caused by ocean acidification and warming waters. In total, within the allocation, Trump proposed funding cuts for climate, weather, and ocean research by 41% amidst all the things that are going on right now with climate change, and particularly ocean and ocean acidification and ocean warming. Popular programs such as Sea Grant, Coastal Zone Management Program grants, the National Ocean and Coastal Security Fund, and the National Estuarine Research Reserve System will be maintained by $572 million. Dan, in addition to that, uh, the Senate Appropriations Committee approved the Corps of Engineers uh, appropriation, and uh, that is $2 billion plus boost in that. And that's significant for that agency. So those of you who are following that, and incidentally, there's always more information in the updates, the water log updates. Uh, for those of you who are not subscribed, uh, go to waterlog.net. You can easily subscribe to uh, get these updates and find out all the details. <clears throat> the, um, and the panel in the Republican-controlled Senate also uh, voted to approve a bill that's called Save Our Seas 2.0 that would require the EPA to develop a strategy to reduce waste in oceans and waterways. Now, in terms of appropriations, there's a continuing resolution. That's the term for uh, we can't pass appropriations by September 30th, so we have to keep the government going uh, until we do pass appropriations. House has passed, I believe, all of its appropriations bills. The Senate has yet to pass one. But they're on the move. They're trying to work it out. So they, uh, they passed what's called a continuing resolution. And it keeps the government funded at last year's, or what are now really this year's, funding rates. That's FY19. They keep them funding until November 21st, I believe. And flood insurance as well. The program had to be kept uh, going because they have to kick the can down the road again. So the continuing resolution passed the House, passed the Senate today, and it will now go to the President where I, I'm sure it's uh, going to get signed. I think it's, I just want to say, I think it's a little silly that Congress goes out of session for almost a month and then comes back and expects, expects to pass 12 appropriation bills in one month. Yeah. That's like taking a vacation before your final exam. And of course they decide to fund themselves. I thought you took a vacation before your finals. <laughs> I, uh, my grades indicated that I did take a vacation. But no, I, I, I'm with you. They're out all of August and they come back and they're supposed to pass 12 appropriation bills in the Senate, and they go out even for part of the month of, of September. Please, folks, we pay you to work and to keep the government going, and that's at least what we pay. Maybe some of you out there, you know, you can be libertarian and feel that the government ought to go away, but then wait for your Social Security checks or your VA benefits not to get paid, and, and you'll change your mind really quickly about that. Now, the Senate, uh, today, actually, or yesterday was, rescinded the emergency declaration uh, that Trump made uh, over a year ago so that he could uh, take money from military construction fund. Uh, now, the House will also pass that same uh, rescinding of the president's uh, emergency declaration, but it won't be enough to override the president's veto. And, and, and I want to say that uh, there's, you know, other things going on there, but 
with those, he, he's taken 3.6 billion, I believe it is, but let's, out uh, of the uh, military spending uh, that he's just redirected to the wall, the biggest pieces of that, according to a report from uh, one of the uh, news wires, was that uh, was 403 million from Puerto Rico and 257 million from Guam. I understand it's military, but you always think of that it could be housing. It's infrastructure. It's part of the military budget. It's part of their efforts to get resilient. Which brings me to another related subject, which I know is particularly on your mind right now, the Coast Guard. Your granddad just passed away in 94, God bless him, and he served in the Coast Guard during World mm -hmm. War II. God yes, bless he him did. Also. On a destroyer. On a destroyer. That sunk sank a, a ship. Sank a German U-boat, U-869, actually less than 100 miles off the coast of New Jersey. Amazing. They're right in our backyard. Amazing. The Coast Guard, there was a report that I read recently, and I'm not going to go reciting this general accounting office, accountability office report. There was that said that the Coast Guard is not spending enough money to stay in in business, to stay resilient. So bring it back to you know global warming. So there was a hearing today in which uh, uh, Chairman DeFazio and Ranking Member uh, Maloney pointed that out, and had the Coast Guard telling me saying that money has been taken away from the Coast Guard that they had planned to use to raise their billings, to get more resilient. How can they respond, not just to the person who is in trouble out there and their motor conked out, you know, two miles offshore, how can they respond to terrorism and anything like that if they can't get out, if they, their buildings are destroyed? So I just wanted to say that, you know, God bless your grandpa, and the agency, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security, incidentally, you know, ought to be a defense agency. Well, thank you, Howard. I appreciate that. And I think, I think uh, Papa, which is what we call him, would have something to say about that for sure. I'll bet you he'd have. Maybe he is talking <laughs> about it. He's laughing about it. About it. Now, uh, with the Energy and Water Bill uh, appropriated, you know, passed last week uh, by the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, you know, the roadblocks have been cleared. Commerce bill with NOAA that you talked about uh, to be approved by the full committee, as was the Interior Committee. These are all that have these uh, agencies, Interior uh, uh, and in, has uh, the Interior bill released to Homeland Security, which relates to FEMA, which got stuck in Homeland Security when they did this grand reorganization. So the Senate committee has also approved transportation, housing, and urban development, which has, if you look at the bill, and its report has some coastal provisions, and uh, it also is related to the HUD bill, housing and urban development uh, department, which has CDPG grants. A lot of the folks who are listening and rely on CDPG grants. There's a lot of CDPG for uh, post-disaster, uh, and there's a CDPG resilience. So look again, for more information, look at the waterlog updates and look on waterlog because you're going to get a lot of information about details. You know, the Great Lakes Fishery Research uh, Authorization Act has been reported out and approved by the uh, committee that was handling that. And lastly, another bill, H.R. 4347, has been approved by a House committee. It enhances the federal planning and preparation for extreme weather, and we sure as heck need that. The House passed two bills to ban new offshore drilling. 
The first would permanently ban leases in parts of the Gulf of Mexico near Florida, and the second would permanently ban leases off the Pacific and Atlantic coasts. Now this coincides with uh, oil from a cargo ship that began showing up on the Georgia coast. It's just a stark reminder. Cargo ships, fuel tanks typically hold about, you know, about one million gallons of oil, whereas you know, thinking back to the BP oil spill, that was about 120 million gallons. So, you know, there's just a small amount comparatively to, you know, a devastating oil spill that we have, and that was just from a single ship. It's not something we want washing out no, you on, gotta, our, on our shores. You know, look at the huge damage, the amount of money that is still being spent to repair that damage. Folks down there in the Gulf know about the BP. Mm, absolutely. And folks for the for the million gallons that get uh, uh, spelled also no, they may not get the same millions and billions to you know repair it, but it really affects the environment, harms the environment. So They've uh, they're they're doing they're doing some things to clean it up, but you also have the cars and other things that that fell with the capsized ship. So that's oh. all, all that stuff's down there too. Jeez. Um, in a related matter, the Interior released its uh, final environmental impact statement for oil and gas drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. That's been something which folks have fought for years. Environmental groups, but more than that, have fought the, uh, doing any oil and gas drilling up in that very environmental sense, sensitive uh, area of uh, Alaska. And this is this statement that was just released, the environmental impact statement, opens the doors to the drilling in that area. In other news, I'd like to point out that there have been no serious harmful algal blooms outbreaks in Florida this year. Aside from the stinky, stinky sargassum seaweed that was washing up, I think Florida had a pretty good summer, especially for the surfers who've had an endless run of swell along the East Coast, and Florida got pretty much all of it. The Economic Development Administration of Commerce has announced $600 million worth of grants for damages done in 2018-19 by Florence, Michael, and other storms. There's also been uh, action on the uh, nominee for the Fish and, head of the Fish and Wildlife Service. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee today endorsed Aurelia Skipwith to head the Fish and Wildlife Service on a party-line vote, overriding criticism from Democrats over the nominee's repeated refusal to respond to questions from lawmakers. Yeah, I'm a little bit hesitant about this one. Instead of answering questions that Senate leadership asked, she insisted that they file a Freedom of Information Act request. That's, That's unacceptable. <laughs> Answer the question, you know, what are you hiding? You know, you're going to get the higher salary and a bigger title and probably uh, better access to, uh, you know, the government motor pool and all that and power. And she won't answer questions. She's a former Monsanto employee, so I definitely uh, Well, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. That's all for today, folks. If you have questions, uh, head over to waterlog.net. Don't forget to subscribe to our email updates if you want all this information in detail. Thanks again to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. We'll be back in October, hopefully, with the Energy and Water Bill passed. That's it for today. Take care. Bye-bye.